grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the letter of Ephesians as we finish chapter 5 today. Prepare to turn to the final chapter, chapter 6, next week and thankful for our journey in this last passage of chapter 5 as we've looked at marriage for the last five or so weeks. This wonderful gift of Scripture, God's Word to us on this important topic Um, especially here in Ephesians. In all of Scripture, God has done a great work through Paul to bring us such great needed clarity here. I'm excited to uh, look today at uh, part two of the role of the wife. Uh, I want to jump right in as we have a lot to cover and look with me at our passage. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands... As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In our passage We see clearly God's intention for marriage to portray the marriage that Christ has with his bride, the church. And that the roles we live out in our marriages are a critical part of rightly testifying this gospel story of Christ in the church. In Ephesians 5, in the passage I just read, we see that husbands are compared to Christ and wives are compared to the church. Husbands are compared to the head and wives are compared to the body. Husbands are commanded, commanded to provide and to lead as Christ provided and led. Wives are commanded to submit and support as the church is to submit and support the headship of Christ. It is important that we see in the very creating of marriage, God's assigned roles for the husband and wife are patterned after the distinct roles of Christ and his bride, the church. But Paul takes it a step further in verse 32 when he says that our marriage is ultimately, our ultimate purpose of our marriage is is a testimony of Christ in the church. So it's not just patterned after, it is to point towards, it's to point to. So when you think about why do I want to grow in my marriage, thrive in my marriage, Honor God in the roles that he's called me to live out so that my testimony does what God wants it to do in pointing to Christ 
and the church. The way the gospel is at work in this creation until he calls us home. As we turn to part two of the role of the wife today, we must see that we only tell an honest testimony of Christ in the church when the husband and the wife fulfill the roles given to them by God instead of living these roles out the way we think they should best go or what seems to work best in our homes. We don't rewrite or rewire what God has called this to look like. When you consider God's sovereign appointment for those who are married or hope one day to be, it is to live out the role of husband and wife as God has appointed to be has appointed it to be lived out and nothing else. It is not up for negotiation. It is not up for slight variation. We honor God when we joyfully do it His way. What this means is whenever we're tempted to say, but I like it this way or that, or I don't like this aspect of God's assignment for me, we must repent of even that attitude and walk by faith and not by sight. We do this for the glory of the living God, for whom, for whom we live each day He gives us under the sun. The Word of Truth Catechism says it simply. Question 30. What roles did God ordain for men and women within the family? God has ordained the role of the husband to lovingly lead his wife and family. God has ordained the role of the wife to joyfully submit to her husband's leadership as his helper. In other words, the husband's primary role is leader, provider, and protector. And the wife's primary role is helper, and domestic manager and nurturer. The theological term that we use, that we derive from Scripture uh, for the role that God's given to the wife is, the, is the, the word helpmate. Look again with me at our definition for helpmate as we put it together according to God's Word. Helpmate is the divine calling of a wife for church-like submission to her husband's headship and to take primary responsibility for the stewardship of the home and the nurturing of the children. I want to circle back to the main emphasis of our last sermon, which was on this first aspect of the helpmate definition, church-like submission to her husband's headship. Um, God's Word is plentiful, as we saw in our last time together on this topic and specific right out the gate in our passage here in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 22-24 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Submitting, submission, is the desire and the action of following a husband's authority and the commitment to respectfully trust and yield to his leadership. It's not to second guess, it's not to usurp, it's not to to slow down and drag or to press a different direction. A desire and action to follow a husband's authority and a commitment to respectfully trust and yield to his leadership. 
those whom God has given the role of wife, to those of you whom this applies, is this your practice? Is this your testimony? I want to ask you to turn with me again to 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to point out one other clarity we didn't do last time we were together from this passage in this aspect of the definition of a helpmate. Spend a little time here and then we'll move into the next two. I want to read the whole passage in its entirety. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You notice what Peter says about Sarah in verse 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. If you've studied history at all, you likely know the term the Lord of the manor. Uh, or for a family to refer to the head of the home as Lord. This was not unusual. It is unusual today, unless you're listening to our podcast from England. But I want you to see that this title of authority was not weird. It was not abnormal. It was not out of bounds. It was respectful. And it highlighted the God-given roles of the home. What I want you to see is the joy of Sarah to respect her head and follow him well. Let me help you wives climb into the joy of this role by relating it to the blessing it is to be called Christ's servant. If you're a Christian. Sometimes words like Lord can be hard to digest, especially when we don't use them in our modern context. Scripture helps us see a word that can also be hard to digest, if not viewed in the right light of our role as a servant of Jesus. The actual word used in Holy, much of Holy Scripture to define our servant relationship to Christ is the word slave. And again, our flesh can just be quick to kind of buck that and not like the sound of that. But it is good to slow and consider this because when we put away our pride, when we trust Christ and not our own feelings, when we do what He wants us to do and not what we want to do, we honor God. We are 
living a better life in Christ because we're serving God, not ourselves or our sin any longer. We call this good. Paul referred to himself as a slave to Christ all the time. Why? Because he saw how good it was to serve Christ and no longer himself. It brought eternal purpose to his days. He was honorable and upright. It was a way to keep him focused on why God created him, saved him, and sent him. It was a way to not make his life sinfully about himself. Sisters, this is how you must see God's good assignment for you as your husband's helpmate. For it is a good God-honoring thing that you follow your husband and serve him and help him well every day that God gives you in oneness. My prayer is just like Sarah and just like Paul. You long to embrace the good role God created for you as helpmate. Sarah rightly saw that God's good assignment was for her to follow her husband and to submit to him and help him thrive. I'm sure Sarah had many days that she didn't like Abraham. I'm sure she had many days that she didn't like the way he was leading. Right? Sins at work in all of us. But this didn't stop her from doing what God assigned her to do. And to do it with joy and to do it with fervor. To do it for the glory of God. This is why we lean in and embrace these things and call them good. To be clear, this verse is not proposing that you need to call your husband Lord. That's not the intention of the passage. That's not what I'm telling you. Guys, be careful to hang your hat on that. Okay? It is using Sarah as an example of an attitude and respect that she had towards her husband. She didn't aim low. She aimed high. She aimed to honor God in His important call on her life. May the women of Disciples Church be counted among the daughters of Sarah in these good God-honoring ways, with humble hearts and a longing to submit to their husband without delay, without complaint. Wives, do not forget that God created you to help your husband. You were created for this purpose. The man was not made for woman, but woman for man, from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. Wives, your good God-given priority every day is to wake up and help your husband. To joyfully follow his lead. The decisions, the direction for the family, the priorities for your home, the finances, the schedule, it's not yours. It's his to lead. Sisters in Christ, do you see that your goal is to help him so that he thrives in his role? 
God made Eve to help Adam thrive in all that God called Adam to do. Wives, you need to do your part well. When you do it well, when you don't slow him down, when you don't make it hard, when you don't throw up excuses or throw up walls, when you don't stir up division, you honor him and you honor the Lord. And one of the critical things that you must do business with as a female is to not let your feelings lead you or break you down. When it comes to living out your role as helpmate to your husband. In hundreds of hours of pastoral counseling over the years, I have seen all the ways that your female feelings and emotions can make war with you. Make serious war with the things that God says are right and good. This is a serious offense for you to be attentive to your feelings instead of what God has called you to. While I know the emotional swings and depths that you as a female go through are very real, you cannot allow them to be an excuse to give into your flesh and then to just declare, this is how it is. That is to let your feelings lead, your emotions to lead. Your husband has natural inclinations that are sinful and fleshly as well. And just like you, he doesn't get to use circumstances or seasons of life to justify why he just gives in to his fleshly longings and natural urges. Sisters, you must be killing sin in all the ways it shows up in your emotions and in your feelings, especially. Let me remind you of a few key scriptures to remind you of the seriousness of the failure of your flesh in your feelings. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 28.26 Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Proverbs 12.15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Sisters, Instead of letting your feelings lead you, you must let the Spirit lead. You must let the Word of God lead you. You must let your husband lead you as God designed. If you are tempted to let your hormones lead, put them behind the leading of the Spirit. If you are tempted to let your feelings lead, put them behind the leading of God's Word. If you are tempted to let your emotions lead, put them behind the leading of your husband. 
That's how far back your feelings need to be put. Not up front, but behind the things that God's given you to lead you. The things that He has provided to properly lead you and care for you as the weaker vessel. Yes, God's Word gives acknowledgement to that way that you are wired as an emotional female and that it is a reality. He acknowledges it by referring to you as a weaker vessel. This is Peter's final point of emphasis in our 1 Peter chapter 3 passage. Look at verse 7 with me. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter is not speaking disrespectfully about the wife here. If you hear it that way, you're hearing it wrong. He's not dismantling the truth that the wife is equal to her husband in value and dignity. He's acknowledging the fact that there is a tenderness, a design by God that the wife is in need of of leading by her head because she is a weaker vessel. Ladies, you help yourself when you see that God gives you a head, whether that be your father, whether that be your shepherds, or your husband, so that in moments of weakness or emotional vulnerability, or even instability, that you would be helped. You would be corrected. You would be led unto what is good, and not what is given to the flesh and given to emotions that we're so often led by. When you do this, when you don't hijack the situation with your preference, but instead you let him lead. Your husband is able to lean on you and trust you as a reliable helpmate. Are you, are you giving him that? Are you trustworthy? Are you reliable? Or is the bottom constantly falling out? This is what Solomon's celebrating in Proverbs 31 when describing a faithful, God-fearing wife. In verse 11 and 12 of Proverbs 31, it says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Why does the heart of a husband trust in a faithful and devoted wife because she's successful at all that she does or because she's beautiful or fun to be with no it is because she is faithful to wake up each day and fulfill her God-given role to help and follow her husband to do him good and not harm 
Not just to do this once in a while. Not just to do this sometimes. It is not enough if you are faithful to this just some days, or just in some seasons, or most weeks of the month. No, God's Word is clear that this is a priority for your daily life. Look at it. She does this all the days of her life. She does this until death concludes her marriage covenant. The Proverbs 31 wife is not governed by her own ambition or standards, but by the Lord. She's faithful to help her husband and not harm him or work against him. She loves the role given to her by the Lord. And she leans on Christ alone to do it well. Notice, I didn't say that she loves how her husband leads and what he decides. You cannot use that as a precursor for you doing your part. You very well may not like how your husband leads on many days, but your submission, your faithfulness, cannot be linked to his performance. Oh, how failed and broken your marriage will be if you base your God-given submission and faithful help on your mood and or on his performance. Anytime you start to reason that direction, put it away, sister, and come back to what the Lord has assigned for you and ground yourself in it as good. Look to Christ for all that you need. How desperate you are for Christ. You must abide in the vine who is Christ. Anything else you cling to is idolatry. Anything else you say must be in place for things to work is guaranteed to let you down. Christ in you, the hope of glory. One last look at your role of helping your husband before we move into the next aspect of God's call on a wife. Look at Proverbs 31, 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The point about her husband being known among the leaders of the land is less about ego and fame and more about the fact that because she is rightly stewarding her household and family well, the husband is able to invest himself in the things of the Lord that God has called him to among the other men. This is similar to the saying, behind every good man is a good woman. The blessing of a godly wife frees her husband to thrive in doing what God has entrusted to him. If you are a wife, do you humbly see your God-given role to look for all the ways you are helping your husband to thrive? To do all that God has called him to do? Do you aim to set him up to succeed? 
to support him, to care for him, to love him. Again, hear it again, Proverbs 31, 11, and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Is this you? If not, what needs to happen, so it is so in your life. Sisters, how can you be attentive to growing in your submission to your husband? What might you need to confess as sin? In the way that you've gone about this important role in the past. Genuinely, your genuine confession of sin. To own it is a huge step in the right direction. Not a confession that says, I'm sorry I did this, but here's the other things that are to blame. No, a confession that just is focused on you and where you see you've missed the mark. To genuinely and humbly let that be known. To not protect reputation. To not protect pride. To not worry about score. A deep-seated longing to honor God, to confess what is sin, and to take up repentance. What is repentance? It is to take up a new path in light of the gospel, in light of God's truths. To abandon the sinful one and take up a better road, a God-honoring road. That is the journey of repentance. Also, sisters in Christ. Who are your sisters in Christ that you could invite in to hear them? To ask them to help you see what you don't see. To help you in the areas that you're struggling so that you can move forward in a way that glorifies God. Let me remind you that you are telling a story about the church's submission to Christ for others to see. You are modeling for your daughters and other sisters in Christ for what this looks like. Finally, I want to encourage you to ask your husband how he feels you can improve in this area. There is no greater step of true submission to your husband than a humble willingness to ask your husband how you can follow him better. Right? If you genuinely want that, you'll want to know. Ask him how you're doing. Ask him how you can grow. Husbands, love your wives in these steps. Be honest with them, but help them take their next steps unto what honors God. May God be glorified in you as you do these things, sisters. Okay, looking back at our definition of helpmate, let's look at the next aspect of what God shows us. Helpmate is the divine calling of a wife for church-like submission to her husband's headship and to take the primary responsibility for the stewardship of the home and the nurturing of the children. Paul gives additional clarity to the God-given role of the wife as he writes to Titus and to Timothy. First, look at what he says to Titus in Titus 2, verse 3. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, 
They are to teach what is good. What are the good things that the more spiritually mature women in the church are to teach the less mature women in the church? They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Also consider Paul's words to Timothy in the role of the wife, 1 Timothy 5.14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. In God's creating the wife to be her husband's helpmate, and God designed the economy of the family, God sets the table for the important role that the wife carries out in supporting him as she prioritizes, as he prioritizes providing and protecting the family. How does the wife support and help her husband as he is laboring to provide for the family, to lead the family, protect the family? She does this by working hard at the managing of the home. We see this in both passages. Paul's words are clear in these and other letters to specifically say that a godly wife is busy working at home and managing her household. Wives, it is so essential that you see the role as a homemaker, not as a traditional thing from the 50s, right? But that you see God's priority for your days in this good assignment for you. It should be an honor and a privilege for God to entrust you with a husband to help and a home to manage and kids to raise, if that's God's sovereign decree for your life. I want to ask you, do you look at it this way? Do you see your God-given priorities are first? Church-like submission to your husband's headship is your first priority. Second is the stewardship of the home and the nurturing of the children. Can I just quickly point out that sometimes wives are guilty of prioritizing the home and the children in front of the husband? And biblically, we would say this is out of order. Your first priority in your role is your husband, and then the home and the children. Is that a reflection of who you are in your journey? Do you wake up and count these as true priorities for your lives? As you think about what you're busy, what you're committed to, what you're prioritizing in your days, do these priorities of husband, home, and children come before your personal interest, hobbies, desire to earn an income or any other ministry that you might be committed to. You might have an important ministry in the church or even an important role in the community, important role in a certain organization or company, but those do not come before the role God has given you as helpmate to your husband, homemaker, and mom. I know that many beloved sisters in Christ have gone to college, have prepared for careers, and committed themselves to other things that they're passionate about. 
But do you see with me today that no matter how much money you put into your education, how passionate about these things you are, how gifted you might be at them, they are not to come before your God-assigned priorities to help your husband be a devoted homemaker and a nurturing mom. Let me remind you that nowhere in Scripture is the wife called to be a breadwinner in the home. Nowhere. Instead, Scripture is clear that she is first and foremost called to be busy at home. Tending to her God-given priorities as helpmate, manager of the home, and nurturer of the children. One of the sweetest places we see this modeled so well is in Scripture in the testimony of the Proverbs 31 wife. <clears throat> look Look at that passage again with me, and let's look at verse 10. Proverbs 31.10, this is held up in God's Word as a good model. Um, An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Skip down to verse 13 through 16. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Also in verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, it must be understood that this is written of a wife in a mainly um, aggregate agrarian society. Wow, that really tripped me up. Did I say it right? All right, thank you. Meaning, these were times and generations where farms were dominant. Um, Times where much of the resources you needed as a family to get by were not acquired in a Walmart pickup (laughs) or in an Amazon Prime order. No, the resources needed for the management, the basic operation of the home, were grown on site, or traded for, or bartered for, from producers of other goods. So just in case you're thinking that this is pointing to some kind of side hustle that she's running for some extra money to help provide, some beanie baby baby business, Woo. Say beanie baby business five times. <laughs> that she's busy running? That's not what this is saying. That's what I get for trying to be clever. <laughs> A godly wife works hard and is devoted to whatever is needed for her household to thrive. That's her priority. For her husband to be blessed and for her kids to be raised in the disciplines of the Lord. She's not slothful. She's not lazy. She's definitely not a modern-day, spoiled, self-centered, real housewife of Orange County. No, very opposite. She rises early because it's not about her. It's about the joy to fulfill her God-given role 
as she counts her role very special. She leans in to steward well the day the Lord has entrusted to her. Her aim is to be sure her family is clothed and cared for well, that she's following her husband well in his tenets of how the family is to go. I've heard many people in our modern day critique the wife who is full-time at home, saying her job is easy. Careful. These people have never met the godly women that I know who rise early and work hard all day to keep a well-ordered, clean household, to cook healthy food for their families, to teach their children the disciplines of life and to educate them, to be ready to greet her husband with joyful priority and not just with leftovers. Additionally, many of these hardworking women are devoted to caring for members of the church and discipling other women along the way, as well as communal, community involvement, caring for orphans, and on and on. Her job is easy. Ha! No matter what else is on your plate of daily tasks and responsibilities, the managing and tending of the family and the household is a God-given assignment and priority for a godly wife. Now, does this mean that the Bible says that a wife cannot help with the breadwinning of the family? Scripture does not forbid this. So no, a wife can also work a job. But what is clear is that tending to her husband and the home and the nurturing and the raising of the children are her first priorities. That means her job cannot be her first priority. It must only be done with time and energy that remains after your God-given assignments are accomplished well, at least as her first priorities in her day. To rewire this, to reorder it, to redefine what God has clearly defined in many years of pastoring, I've seen it put an unneeded burden on many wives to carry a load that she's not meant to carry. And I know that in many of these situations, the husbands are very willing to see it go this way. And over the years, I've walked with many husbands to help them see the unneeded burden the wife is carrying to have this extra income. What we've called good might not be good in the end. For the working wife who might be struggling to help her husband, to have enough energy to really tend to her husband, to have the time and the energy to focus on the raising and the development of the children, to have the time and energy to focus on the well-ordered household. See that you're working is the thing you've added to what God has designed you for. If you are burdened, see your job or your work as the addition, as the source of the burden, not the other way around. 
Likely the relief you need is to reassess your job commitments so that you can truly prioritize your God-given assignments. Church, we need to be so careful to ask and ask why we prioritize our homes in this modern-day manner where so many households, both the husband and the wife, work. It surely can be a fleshly desire for more stuff, the enjoyment of a nicer, bigger house, nicer cars, better or more vacations, cool experiences for the kids. A hundred out of a hundred times in the seat that I have in observing this happen, your kids will benefit and be blessed so much more from a present faithful mother, your husband, present faithful wife, than bigger and better vacations or a nicer car. While a wife having a job or pursuing a career is not sinful in and of itself, it is sinful if it means she's putting off her God-given priorities of first helping her husband and tending to the children and the home so that the husband can be the primary breadwinner and leader God has called him to be. I've known many families whose marriage has struggled or whose home is not in order or whose kids have struggled because the wife is committed to or busy working a job in front of her God-given priorities. If this is you, my pastoral plea with you is to allow God's Word to redirect you. I'm not saying you have to look back and count everything that's happened as bad. I'm sure, by God's grace, many great things have happened over many years. It's not to discount that. Do not be guilty of trying to weigh it that way. But to simply slow down and consider what it might mean to make adjustments so that you can thrive in your God-given role. Even if it means you have less money, you drive an older car, you live in a smaller house, or you travel less. Your kids and your husband will be far more blessed by your daily presence and energy being rightly focused on them than to have an extra week of vacation or for the kids to get to go do travels, club sports, or whatever else might be in front of you. In the mid-90s, as a young adult, my wife Jennifer, before we were married in her young adult years, uh, did infant care. That was her job as a single young adult. And one of her very telling testimonies of the society we live in was to see mothers carry a child to birth and within days or weeks run them to infant care so they could run back to their jobs. Not because they had to, to provide for their family, but because they wanted that bigger rock on their finger where they really liked their Mercedes-Benz. It was clear where their priorities really were. And it was sad to see how quickly moms were giving up their primary role for someone else to essentially do that job so they could work. Please hear me say this. Due to just how popular it is to press our young women into college and into career life, 
the reality is many of you are hearing this sermon and you're still operating in this way where the pursuit is for the wife to work. It's been a joy over the last 20 years to see many marriages and families make the needed adjustments to steward rightly their God-given priorities. Many of you are in this very process right now. It's costly. It takes time. It's hard. I know it. But praise God for this. For others, you do hold the job and you do rock it at home. And praise God. Again, as long as you truly are not usurping your God-given priorities, it's not sinful that you have that happening, maybe in an empty nested season or, or a unique season that you're in. You are honoring God's assignment for you first. My heart is not to tell you how to do this. My heart is to tell you what God has made clear about where your priorities are to be. Whatever you need to do to make the priorities of God the priorities of your home, do it. No matter the cost, it will be worth it. Husbands, this point is as much for you as it is for her. Because for many of you, you are the driver behind why she's not able to fulfill her God-given role as well. With all that said, let me be clear to also mention, some of you don't have a choice. Why? Because you're a single mom. Because your husband abandoned you or died. Because you had children outside of marriage but were smart enough not to enter into a marriage that wasn't right. And so you're a single mom. And so you must provide. Some of you are doing this because you have a lazy or absent husband who are not taking God's call in their lives seriously to be the provider of their family. For you, I praise God for your endurance and for your sacrifice. I hope that you see the church is here to help you, support you in all the ways that you need. Sisters, may we not put away the important role of setting the example for those in your wake. We must be training our daughters to do the things that God has prescribed in His Word for wives and mothers to do first and to do it well unto the glory of God. So again, I want to ask, How serious are you ladies about your God-given priority to be the primary steward of your home? When Scripture says we are to do all things under the glory of the Lord, is this your motivation for why you rise early and work hard to keep, organize, and manage your home well unto the glory of the Lord? Let me encourage you men The leadership of how the home goes still rests on you. You don't get to check out and be absent from this. You don't get to say to her, hey, you figure it out. I'm busy with work. No, it's essential that you are hearing from your wife how it's going, where she's struggling and needs help, resources, the tools she needs to thrive to manage the home well. It's essential, men, that you are providing leadership and direction as to how your home is going. Again, the Lord knocks on your door and there's an issue with how your home is being managed. He's not going to sit with her. He's going to sit with you. It is essential that you are hearing 
from her and loving and listening to her and participating too. I'm always encouraging our godly men, make sure you have real roles at home, looking for ways to bless your wife, looking for ways to give her a break in her long days. She needs that. Guys, many of you get to turn work off. Many of your wives hardly know what that is in a day. Are you giving her space, time to relax, time to unplug? She needs that too. One of the important ways that I've needed to grow in my own marriage is in this area with my wife Jennifer um, to listen well and to hear how things are going and then not to just passively say, hey, figure it out, but to engage, provide help, sometimes even coaching to her, an organization of what's happening or different ways to implement discipline, ways to come around her with the children, or the ways the disciplines of the home are working themselves out. It's important that we're engaging in these ways, men. This should be a sweet way that your oneness is going to work as you work together to honor God in keeping a well-organized household. A helpmate is the divine calling of a wife for a church-like submission to her husband's headship, to take primary responsibility for the stewardship of the home, and the nurturing of the children. In Proverbs 31, 26, we see that she opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. A godly wife is a disciple maker and gladly invests her time into teaching others the things of the Lord. But this starts, ladies, with your children, if that's what God has blessed you with, if he's ordained you to be a mother. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, through Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. There's no more important role that you play, ladies, in your children's lives than to impress on them the truths of God. Amen? Sisters, you are the ones who get to walk with the kids throughout the day. Your role of walking in these truths of God in your playing, in your teaching, in your discipling is the most important thing you do for them. Do you realize that you could comfort them, love them, protect them, and still fail them if you fail to point them to Christ who is life? Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates, Deuteronomy 6, 9. One of my favorite practices of the godly women in our church are all the creative ways that you tattoo your walls, refrigerators, uh, clipboards, chalkboards with the words of God. It's truly a sweet thing to see God's word alive in your homes. For those of you who do not have children, or maybe your children are grown, The Word of God is clear that your days are to be filled with the care and ministry of many in the family of God. You don't get to, in an empty nested season, climb into like this pseudo-retirement. You are a member of the household of God. Therefore, there are many children and many women to mentor and to pour into and to shape. This is an important part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ specifically in the area of discipleship. How have you been or are being discipled? 
so that you can disciple others. It's a joy to see many of you doing this with our children here at Disciples Church or with our youth here at Disciples Church. For others, you're doing this with other women in the church. This is a good and needed thing. Remember Paul's words in Titus 2, 3-4. through 4, The older, the more spiritually mature women, is his main emphasis there, are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. I love that so many of our ladies gathered yesterday. So many of our women, young and old, gathered for a time of fellowship and encouragement in the Word. But even more so, I am encouraged that how many of you are humbly walking with other women in true Christ-empowered unity and humility to seek to be edified and to grow each other in the Word. You're not looking for church programs to do this for you. You are organically, authentically picking up the phone, staying after church, developing relationships with other women, and being the body of Christ to each other. Praise God for this. I'd specifically love to see when our women who are older in years, but maybe younger in spiritual maturity, are humble and willing to put themselves under the spiritual and life mentorship of another woman who might be younger in years, but more mature spiritually. What a sweet testimony of Christ at work when this is happening. I'd love to see a growing number of our sisters in Christ who are single, or who are empty nested, or who are retired, or who are widowed, who are looking for ways to be active in the church, to invest into other women's lives. Don't be guilty of sitting at home and going, I, I, I don't know what to do. You have, look around, you have a big family to love and to care for and to nurture and to pour into. Wise, I'm so thankful for you and the God-given role you play. I'm thankful for your desire to not be right in your own eyes and for your desire to not flex your flesh, but to joyfully live out your God-given role as helpmate. Let me say it one last time. Helpmate is the divine calling of a wife for church-like submission to her husband's headship, to take primary responsibility for the stewardship of the home and the nurturing of the children. In closing, let me highlight a couple sweet passages we also see here in Proverbs 31. And I pray that they're growingly true of you as you press into Christ in all things. Proverbs 31.25 Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. A godly woman walks confidently, not in herself, not in her looks or her clothing. Not in her physical abilities or stature, but in her God. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come because she knows and trusts the one who controls the time to come. Amen? She trusts in the sovereignty of God and she rests on Him. She trusts in the sovereignty of God, and she rests on Him. Sisters in Christ, I pray that's a big amen for you. Proverbs 31, 17-18, she dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. A godly wife thrives 
and lives in the strength of the Lord. She's not weak, but she's strong in Christ. This this does not mean she is strong-willed and not meek. It means that she's focused on the things that the Lord has put before her with God-honoring drive and not excuse-making passivity. She knows what God has entrusted to her is profitable, and she finishes her day well, meaning she walks in the strength of her Lord from start to finish. This is a blessing to her husband and her family because she doesn't tap out or quit partway. Ladies, if you want help, if you want mentoring, if you want encouragement, don't go at this alone. Lean into each other. May it be so. A godly wife is able to do this because of who Christ is in her life. And because she's not doing it in her own strength, which is often fleeting or self-serving. Proverbs 31, 28-30, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently. You surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. May it be so with you. May it be so for the glory of God. Amen. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your holy word. I'm encouraged at what you're doing in the life of our church. I'm encouraged for so many Sundays where you don't leave us the way we came in, but you love us enough to wreck us, to tear down what we've erected, to ignite us with a passion for you, a motivation to no longer make it about us, to no longer make it about what's comfortable or what we want, but to genuinely make it about you and what you have called us to. And to climb into these things and call them good. And to do the confession and repentance that's needed to set us on a new path. That you would mold and shape and refine and sanctify us. That the church would be maturing. Disciples being made. Generations impacted. God, we want to be faithful to your word. Tuned in to the spirit. Living for your glory above all else. I'm super thankful for the wives of Disciples Church. I'm thankful for those who are recently wives, just become wives, those who are, by your sovereign decree, on their way to becoming wives. Um, What a blessing it is, Lord, that you ordained Eve, helpmate, wife, I'm blessed by so many daughters of the King to know, to love, to walk with. In no way let the men of this room tune out to say that today had nothing to do with us. Oh, how wrong we are. 
There's so much for us to hear, to go to work on. There's so many ways for us to be praying for and leading our wives, our daughters in the things of the Lord. May us be doers and not hearers only. Hear us now as we sing of your majesty, your fame, for you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray.